We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into a brand new episode of the Pack-A-Day podcast. You may be joining us either on YouTube or the audio version. I am doing a special simulcast today as I'm joined by the one and only Ben Fennell. Thank you so much for taking some time uh, to join us for those who are listening. Ben, we have not had a chance to discuss the draft yet. I know for everyone listening, it's been a couple weeks out since the draft has taken place, but uh, you cover it better than anyone. You are obviously at the draft. You spend all year breaking down these prospects, so uh, it would be probably quite Quite silly on my end if I did not invite you on to talk some of these Packers prospects, who they ended up selecting and things like that. But before we jump into all of that, how are you doing and what's been going on in your neck of the woods? I'm doing great. Uh, since I came back from Cleveland working the NFL draft with NFL Network, I've been a full-time golfer working on my tour card as I do every summer here, uh, but really immediately turning the page to 2022 and enjoying some, uh, some free time and some downtime this summer. But in my world, we're always looking ahead and always kind of cheating the notes and cheating the, uh, the database and next year starts today type of mentality. So whether it's studying the Packers roster, the Packers draft picks, next year's draft in general, a lot to get ahead on. So just kind of enjoying some, uh, some slow days and some slow pace here in the summer. 
Yeah, you and I are on, I think, opposite ends of the spectrum where, you know, you're you're doing some of the going back and looking at some of the, the you know, players the Packers picked, I know, and you've done some of that already, uh, but you're more, you know, already starting to look ahead towards the next year's draft. I'm still doing deep dives as much as I can into some of these players and just still unwrapping the presence a little bit, if you will. Uh, but either way, really kind of a fun time of year to not only review what, again, you know, some of the teams did in the draft, but start looking ahead to next year and then really kind of recalibrating. I love to go back this time of year. I know Daniel Jeremiah always talks about this as well going back and looking at some of the best players in the nfl what are they doing right at their specific positions and just kind of recalibrating your mind you've watched all these prospects for months now like all right now what are the the real all pros what are they doing on a down-to-down day-to-day basis to get to that point and what do you want to really look for when you're watching these prospects and that's such a healthy exercise because in order to scout these players coming from saturdays to sundays you have to have a really good assessment of what sundays require And Sundays is always an evolving, changing league. It's a changing game. So it's important to know who the best players are. What does it look like? How are they, you know, uh, getting their jobs done? Where can they improve? And who on Saturdays maybe is replicating that or can, you know, live up to that potential or is a fit to, to play for a certain team or scheme? I think it's really important to kind of study the balance of both college and the NFL. But as we know, there's only so many hours in the day, There's a lot of football out there. You can only watch so much. So it's definitely uh, important to kind of piecemeal your year with different assignments like that. And summertime is a great time. If you're all about the draft, take a month or two and study some NFL, too. Yeah, it's a really great idea for those who are really looking to dig into this even further. I want to go over the draft, obviously, and you were there and had that whole experience. And I want to ask you about that as well. But before we get to the draft, there was obviously something that also started to take place right before the draft as well. That was obviously the entire situation with Aaron Rodgers. I think we've heard from everyone at this point, except you and Aaron Rodgers. I don't think we're going to hear from Aaron Rodgers today, but I do want to hear from you. What has been your overall thought process and takeaway from this entire Aaron Rodgers situation up until this point? Well, it's been frustrating for the lack of information, and it's obviously a very divisive conversation that seems like you're either with the team or with the player. There's very little middle ground. Uh, People are very passionate about the situation. It seems like it's a revisionist type of situation as well, considering we just went through this about 10, 15 years ago as well uh, with the previous quarterback transition. So it's been frustrating, but my personal opinion is I feel like Aaron Rodgers is well within his right to be disgruntled and to be upset. And when you're a valued franchise quarterback and a pillar of the organization, you do have value and you do have pull and you do have say. Uh, It's really hard to find that caliber of player. So when you have it, do not let him go. And sometimes that player may flex a little bit more power and will than the team or the fan base would like. Uh, whether that's the Russell Wilsons or the Tom Brady's, or you can even go back and there are some instances with Peyton and Eli uh, and some kind of issues with the organization. So, you know, a player that played extremely well in 2019, going 13 and three in an NFC championship game and the team to then trade up to take his what's on the surface and on the cover of the, of the novel, his successor. Rarely ever do you take a first-round quarterback to just develop him and keep him behind the scenes. Not only did they take a first-round quarterback, they traded up for that first-round quarterback. The writing on the wall says he will be the starter at some point. So Aaron Rodgers, after an MVP season, said, when will that be? Because if it's going to be next year or two years, I'll leave now. 
and let him get a head start. And I think what a lot of people don't understand is Aaron Rodgers is also advocating for Jordan Love. He doesn't think Jordan Love's in a great scenario or situation either. Jordan Love thinks he can play in this league. So why would you take him in the first round, commit to Aaron Rodgers for another four or five years and kind of handcuff a very young, talented quarterback that wants to play in the NFL? I think he's also upset for the young quarterback. It's not just a selfish kind of vacuum scenario, which is really tough to understand in that situation. But he may not feel like the organization is doing right by not only him, but Jordan Love as well. So with that being said, there's obviously some contract issues and extension issues that uh, are the basis of his disgruntledness and the basis of the organization not committing to him long term. Essentially, he called the team's bluff with his play. He won the MVP. He played an elite level where the team then said, wait, we can't move on from the best quarterback in the league. That would be foolish to do. Um, And I think it's really interesting to look at certain teams around the league, Andy, like you know, the Bucks going out and getting Brady last year, the Colts getting Phillip Rivers, the Saints and the Steelers, you know, for all intents and purposes, not preparing for life after Big Ben or Drew Brees. And you can even look to the Atlanta Falcons, who had the fourth overall pick this year, elected to go with Kyle Pitts instead of selecting Matt Ryan's successor at 36, 37 years old, a very similar ballpark in a very advantageous part of the draft to get that next elite quarterback Why not turn the page to the future? Because it's very hard to find franchise quarterbacks, even when picking at the top of the draft. There is no guarantee. We all know that. So when you have one, the caliber of Aaron Rodgers or Matt Ryan, hold on to them and do everything you can to make them happy and put parts around them. And that's what the Falcons decided to do this past draft. And the Green Bay Packers in the last two years really haven't done that. So uh, I think it's a really interesting conversation. I don't think it needs to be as contentious and hateful and negative as people kind of swirl it to be. Uh, and I would love to kind of hear your thoughts on it as well, Andy. Yeah, it's, it, it harkens back to the Seinfeld uh, when Seinfeld's talking to Uncle Leo and saying, you hold on to her like grim death. Like that's what you do when you get a franchise quarterback. You hold on to them like grim death and do everything that you can uh, to make them the piece of your franchise. And I think where where would you put Aaron Rodgers in the pantheon of team sports superstars. Like he's in the top 10, right? Like you're talking, I mean, LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, those sort of players, you know, in the NBA. And then you got maybe Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, and, you know, maybe a couple other guys in the NFL. To me, Aaron Rodgers is in the top 10, you know, of the pantheon of all team sports right now of what he means to any given franchise. One of the first things I learned about sports is that you do not treat everyone on the team equally. You treat everyone fairly when you can, but you do not treat everyone equally. You better believe that if Aaron Rodgers wants some sort of level of special treatment, we don't know exactly what he wants. It's all that. I think that's the most difficult thing of this entire situation is we're still trying to parse words from a variety of different people to figure out and read between the lines and read the tea leaves of exactly what's going on here. But you, you know, he, if you want whatever he wants in, in that regards, you have to make some level of concessions. And whether it was that, whether it was the breakdowns in communication, if in fact it's true that they did not communicate with him about the selection of Jordan Love or that, that could be potentially be an option, the Bears notified Andy Dalton when Justin Fields was getting selected. Going back to last year's draft, I don't know how closely you watched some of those um, Colts videos where they did like the post-draft videos. 
there was a whole piece of that, of how they went out of their way to notify Marlon Mack, the, the starting running back who was in the last year of his deal, fourth year, about the selection of Jonathan Taylor in the second round. If it's true that they didn't even have a conversation with Aaron freaking Rodgers about a potential uh, draft pick of a quarterback. And I know those there have been people who have said, like, listen, do you honestly think that a phone call about drafting him would have changed things? Maybe not. Maybe he's still upset ultimately at the end of the day, but you at least gave your effort and showed effort. It, may, it makes it that much more of a slap in the face to just think, hey, we're just going to do this and we don't even care if you know or not. And you're not calling for his opinion. You're calling out of courtesy. Courtesy, Just exactly. like the Colts did and every other team you had mentioned there. Yep. Right. And I mean, Jonathan, or, uh, not Jonathan, sorry, Marlon Mack's response was great. It's like, yeah, bring on, I can't wait. Another great person in the locker room. It was like such a great response. And again, who knows how that would have went, but you have to at least do it. And it was interesting after the draft or during the draft and when uh, Brian Gutekunst's press conference took place, I asked him in hindsight, is there anything about that pick that he would do differently than the thing that he said, the communication, he said that he, there was things that they wished that they would have communicated better. To me, that was a huge signal that the communication was not obviously done in the right way, but above and beyond that. And my, and my take on this all the way along, just going back to the Jordan love, because I feel like ultimately that's kind of the, the crux of this in a vacuum I love the idea of selecting a quarterback before you need one in a vacuum. I love the idea of taking somebody with the talent of Jordan love at that point in the draft. I know the connotation of trading up. It was a late fourth round pick, which was almost a fifth round pick at that point. If you don't have enough belief in the quarterback to give up basically a fifth round pick to go up and get them, you shouldn't even be selecting them in the first place. So I like the conviction. I like the idea, all of it in a vacuum. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you've got Aaron Rodgers in that situation, and when he is that guy that you know has taken every slight through the course of his career and turned it into motivation and used it as, as fuel and as a grudge and things like that, you got to know better. And if you're Mark Murphy, who has been in that same situation with the whole Brett Favre situation and how that all went down, and there's degrees of difference here, yes, but you have to know better. So I love the idea in a vacuum. This did not take place in a vacuum. And I'm with you. I think Aaron Rodgers has a lot of rights to be upset. And I think you bring up a phenomenal point of how this isn't just about Aaron Rodgers. There are a lot of people's careers at stake here from Devonte Adams, who says, Hey, I don't know if I'm going to be back if Aaron Rodgers isn't here next year. And I'm paraphrasing there a bit, of course, but mm -hmm. to Jordan loves future to the future of Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst, there are a lot of futures at stake with how this offseason progresses. 
Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC, maximum balance and transfer limits apply. And where I see the major difference, where a lot of Packers fans want to point to the previous situation of going from Favre to Rodgers, and it obviously worked out beautifully. I think it's really important to go through some of just the pillar differences. Number one, Aaron Rodgers fell to them in the first round. They didn't move. They looked at their board when it was time to pick. He was likely the top selection. And you want the best player available. Much easier to sell to the existing quarterback room, the fan base, X, Y, and Z. Not to mention, Favre had threatened retirement for two straight off seasons. So it was in their thought of preparing for the future. Not to mention, they went 4-12 and that year. That Mike Shermer got fired. That was actually the last year they finished last in the division. Even to this day, this was the last year they finished last in the NFC North. Yeah. Things didn't go great after selecting Aaron Rodgers that calendar year. And it was definitely a team in transition. Where I see it differently this year was a team coming off an NFC championship appearance, 13 and three, new voices, new blood, new energy in the building. You think you got resurgent play from your 36-year-old quarterback. They then went and traded up in the first round for his inevitable successor. And I thought to myself, when they took Jordan Love, I was just thinking, how and why would Jordan Love ever see the field? Aaron Rodgers' injury, Aaron Rodgers' decline in play. In my opinion, you bet on Aaron Rodgers to fail. And Aaron Rodgers called your bluff. And now the team is sitting there with a philosophical crossroads of saying, shoot, do we continue with our franchise quarterback that has been here for 10 years, proven winner, proven franchise elite quarterback, or make the transition to the first round guessing game? He could be the greatest quarterback ever. He could not be able to play a lick in this league. We know how high variant it is to select quarterbacks, even in the first round. So there's no guarantee of just taking a first round quarterback. There's going to be any semblance of success. There's also the other side. He could be a Hall of Famer. So there's there's just that bit of unknown. But it's also really interesting. When does a player ever get taken and is completely vacuum sealed for a year? Yeah, his value has not moved. He's done nothing on tape. There was no preseason, very little camp, didn't dress for any games. If you had an opinion of him going into the draft in 2019, or excuse me, 2020, it shouldn't be that different today. So his value on the market is also a really interesting conversation. Um, but at, you know, at the end of the day, we'll have to kind of put this conversation to bed as there's been no new news, no real sources from anybody that matters, no true feelings from anybody that matters. And it seems like, you know, at least the organization is just trying to get through this storm 
until they have something of substance. Yeah. And I think just going back to that Jordan Love um, value just for a second, I think the only thing that's changed is all the teams that have gone out and gotten quarterbacks since that point. Right. So the market is smaller. Yep. The market is much smaller. Right. So if, if all of a sudden the situation was and I'm not saying it is, but the situation is all of a sudden you have to either keep. Aaron Rodgers or Jordan Love. And if Rodgers comes back for some reason, whatever the case may be, you need to jettison Jordan Love at this point. I still think you don't get the full return on investment that I don't think you're getting a first round pick back would be my guess. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. You never quite know, but um, those are all going to be, I mean, this it's going to be an insanely interesting to say the least off season and how this ebbs and flows. I think every piece of information, it's going to come in waves. It's going to feel like it's good news. And then it's bad news and bad news and good news. And it's going to go back and forth until something ultimately gets figured out. And then like we've talked about, Ben, this could go in a million different directions and how it does is going to completely reshape the, you know, the franchise as we know it right now. Last thing I want to ask you about this, my view of it is that if at all possible, you have to figure out some sort of resolution before training camp starts. Like to me, if camp starts and Rogers is still wherever he is and not in green Bay, that starts to poison the rest of everything else. And it's not, it's not, I'm not saying Aaron Rodgers is a poison. I'm not saying whatever. I'm just saying the entire situation starts to poison everything else that you're working on. It's completely in the backdrop. We, you mentioned that season after the, the Packers moved from Favre to Rodgers. Listen, Rodgers had a pretty solid year. This wasn't prime Aaron Rodgers by any sort of imagine, you know, stretch of the imagination. And they had a lot of injuries that year, but I believe they went six and 10, I want to say. And they, you could just tell that franchise as a whole by the end of the year was exhausted. They were completely exhausted. And to me, if you start getting into training camp and this all happens again, I think you're going to run into the same sort of situation. Are you saying six and 10 that first year Rogers was the starter, right? Yes. Correct. Yes. And I think he lost seven or eight games by one score that year. Yes. They were right in every game and just couldn't put it to bed. But in my opinion, just the last kind of button on this, if Aaron Rodgers once Jordan Love traded, you trade him tomorrow. Yeah. And that isn't because of Aaron Rodgers. That's because of Jordan Love. Go let him play somewhere. Aaron Rodgers wants to play till he's 41, two, three, in green and gold. Go let the young, talented kid go play in the league because he thinks he can play. A lot of people think he can play. You can't have it both ways right now. Aaron Rodgers feels like they're both being held hostage Go set the young birdie free and let him go play somewhere if you're willing to commit to him for the next five, six, seven years, which he's proven. I think he can do it in this offense and with his ability. If you're going to commit to him, you can't have it both ways. You can't have your wife and your, you know, your waiting girlfriend there, you know, uh, for when things go wrong. I know it's a very important position. It's obviously a position you should always be preparing for and planning for and, you know, looking to the future for but there are some pretty rare situations and rare people that kind of change that philosophy. I wonder just kind of thinking out loud, everyone's had their kind of thoughts on a, a deal that makes sense for Aaron Rodgers. I wonder if you could talk to Houston about getting back some picks for Jordan Love, along with like a Davis Mills, who would seem to fit in a Matt LaFleur offense, maybe fill that backup quarterback void, still be some sort of potential long-term, like, but you, we know it's going to take Davis Mills probably a lot longer to prepare and get ready, maybe even than a Jordan Love, maybe a lot less of a threat to somebody like a, an Aaron Rodgers over the next four or five seasons. When it's a third round guy, it's not quite as threatening, right? Or it's not quite as much of a 
you know, connotation of a competition. It's just a guy that you're developing on the back end. No big deal. I wonder if something like that might work. Just yeah, that's kind of that would be the thought, and that's kind of the ballpark I had him in 2020. That's the ballpark of quarterbacks I would have had him in 2021, right? In that Davis Mills, Kellen Mond, Kyle Trask, at a third round grade on Jordan Love uh, going into the 2020 draft. So I think finding a similar type of developmental project quarterback through the middle rounds is an appropriate value. I know they did trade up and select him with the first round draft capital, which changes things a little bit, uh, but I completely agree. All right, let's let's move on because I do want to get to the the draft. First of all, just want to just quickly ask you, what was your experience like in Cleveland, having people back, actually being in Cleveland, not a remote NFL draft, which was nice. Uh, I'm sure back to nice to get back in the swing of things a little bit. Yeah, just being there at a live sporting event, live production, back with the crew, uh, just seeing all the talent on the set together, all the set directors and camera guys I'm used to bumping elbows with behind the scenes, all my NFL network buddies that I don't get to see because I work at NFL Films in South New Jersey. So we always get together at the combine, the draft twice a year. Uh, So just great to see everybody and just to feel like life is getting back to normal, not only work-wise, professionally, but just seeing fans and people out and about and supporting local business, you know, walking about on the sidewalks. And I thought Cleveland put on a pretty good show for us. I thought the fans are great. The town was great. Uh, Definitely unique uh, going to these different kind of cities around the NFL for these draft venues. Uh, Looks like we'll be in, I think, Vegas next year, if I'm not mistaken. I know things got moved around a little bit because Vegas got canceled. Hopefully Green Bay is on the schedule at some point. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. But at the end of the day, just great to see a lot of people we haven't seen before or haven't yeah, seen supposed, in a while. Supposed to be in Vegas last year. Didn't happen because of the pandemic. Definitely planning on being in Vegas next year. So uh, maybe we will catch up at that point. But let's zoom out and let's just take an overall look at the Packers draft. What was just your kind of quick takeaway when you kind of look at the draft as a whole? We'll kind of go like micro a little bit more in this and kind of go pick by pick a little bit, but just zooming out, what was your kind of overall takeaway? I thought there were some nice uh, competitive depth pieces. Uh, I wasn't in love with the draft. I wasn't fist pumping up and down the hotel hallways every night thinking we got steals in every round and players I'm excited to see in green and gold. I think there's some really strong players. There's some tough players, a lot of trait space players, a lot of versatile players. Uh, I think at the end of the day, adding competition to a lot of position groups is the name of the game with the draft. And I think they, they did that certainly. I don't know if they got a lot of high-level starters or high-impact players uh, in year one in 2021 coming up here in a few months, but I think there's some intriguing players, certainly. But, yeah, a little lukewarm and kind of similar to how I felt coming out of the 2020 draft. Yeah, it's an interesting take. You always do such a great job, and you and Fran and the entire group on the Journey to the Draft podcast, you always kind of go through and view different themes that each team kind of had throughout the course of the draft. Was To me, it was a little bit tough. I'll go over my, a couple of the ones that I kind of saw in this draft, and I'll kind of review yours. Like, So first of all, I go back to that NFC championship game a couple of years ago against the San Francisco 49ers and that offensive line that they had where basically I I legitimately don't think the 49ers would have needed to throw a pass that entire game and they would have uh, pretty much wiped the field with Green Bay. When I watched their offensive line, I saw guys that consistently exploded off the football. And to me, there's some interesting traits and some interesting tape with some of these offensive linemen. But one thing in common, Josh Myers, I don't know that I'll say explodes off the ball, but easy mover that gets to the second level, can move side to side. He flies off the ball. You're absolutely right there. 
Absolutely. And then same thing uh, with Royce Newman to, to a different extent. I think he times his times a snap a little bit and is, is getting almost like a, like a millisecond early, but you see there's multiple times, multiple, multiple, multiple times where he's literally to the left of the defensive tackle. Like, so lined up to the right and to the left of the defensive tackle before he's even out of his stance, like he just explodes off the ball, gets to his spot and moves off the ball. Cole Van Lannan his 10 seconds, uh, 40 time or yeah, 10 yard, 40 time was you know one of the best 98th percentile uh, for a guard. Again, you see explode off the football. Now, none of the three have perfect tape by any stretch of the imagination, but I think one of the themes was just the ability to explode off the football, get to their spots and seal their blocker before the defensive lineman even knew what hit them. That was one to me. And then the other was actually addressing some holes on the team. So we know cornerback, both short-term and long-term was a need. Going into next season, it's Jair Alexander in question mark. Going into 2022, I mean, Jair Alexander and everyone else is basically a free agent. Now they've got an Eric Stokes. They lose Corey Lindsley. They get Josh Myers. They didn't have a slot wide receiver. They tried Tyler Irvin and Tavon Austin. It didn't work. They get into Mari Rogers. They need a line depth. They get uh, Royce Newman and Cole Van Lannan. They need a true nose tackle. They go out and get TJ Slayton. They need special teams help. They go get a uh, Gene Charles and a McDuffie in the later rounds who we think can help in that regards. So def- I, I agree with you. To me, the draft is about trying to get high-end talent and I'm not sure they always hit the mark on that. But I do think they address some of that explosiveness along the offensive line and hitting some things that they just needed on the roster. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned the quickness off the ball. I think that's certainly Josh Myers' number one skill set and a very important skill set in his own blocking scheme. That was certainly Corey Lindley's best trait as well, being able to just get that first step to seal nose tackles, one text, maybe reach some two eyes and three texts as well with that lateral quickness. Same thing with Royce Newman. Now, Royce, his quickness off the ball also became a detriment because yes. he'd fly out of his stance so hard Lean. that leaves him vulnerable to inside moves. It's called oversetting. So you can almost fly out a little too aggressively. However, I would much rather dial back the aggressive quick guy than try to ramp up the slow, heavy-legged guy. And Royce has very quick feet. He's very good at kind of redirecting and kind of shuffling and mirroring with defensive linemen. That quickness out of the stance, certainly important. Same thing with Cole Van Lannan, a guy that can reach block and get out of the stance very quick. I just feel like Royce and Van Lannan a little bit underwhelming with power, a little bit underwhelming with block sustainability, the ability to stay latched and kind of keep finishing guys as they're scratching and clawing to get off that block. That's something I think Josh Myers does exceptionally well is be able to, once he gets his hands on you, it's usually over right there and it's tough to get out of his grip. So he's a guy that's certainly going to set the tone inside out with their run game and be able to seal nose tackles, one shades, get up to the second level. But I think a lot of his work is going to go on between the ears. You know, getting guys set up, the protection, calling out mic points, calling out potential blitzers and threats. I've heard from everybody, whether it's scouts, draft eval, you know, evaluators, people at Ohio State. He is ridiculously smart, not just football smart, but just naturally book smart, Jeopardy smart. He's a sharp human being, which you could typically get away with being a bit of a dumb dumb in locker rooms, not on the offensive line. Especially you got to be a smart guy. You got to be sharp. There are too many moving parts and things happen so fast. That center spot in particular needs to be a sharp thinker out there. So I'm certainly excited for Josh Myers. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And I, th- I think it's a, an interesting thing that you bring up as well, because I feel like 
offensive line is kind of like always portrayed in the movies is like kind of just the dumb, big fat guy or like whatever. And it's like, it's not that at all. They have to be very smart and quick on their toes, but yeah, going right back to Royce Newman, right in my, right in my notes, you have to play more under control, just kind of going back to what you were saying. It's yeah, he's, he's quick to explode out, but so many times he's out of control and he's like leaning forward. And as you saying, overstepping, but you know, the defensive lineman will use that against him, And all of a sudden he's flown, you know, flowing, flying by and defensive linemen are coming right up his gap. So um, I love the the quickness, but yeah, it has to be a little bit more under control. He gets out so quick too. Once he gets to his landmark so fast, he then has a bunch of things where he likes to toy with rushers or he'll flash a hand at you, flash two hands, pretend like he's going to cut block you low. And you can only do that because you got out of your stance quickly. You're not in recovery mode. So yeah. he flies out, gets to that landmark, which we love to do, sets surveys. And because he gets out so quick, now you can play the chess match and the cat and mouse with different rushers, which we absolutely love. Also very much most likely to be a 1980s WWF wrestler. He's got, he's the got that look mind. going on just a bit, Fantastic. just a bit. Yep, he's going to look good in Halloween out there. I know it. <laughs> so uh, here, here's one thing I wanted to do, maybe a little quick exercise here. So I want to go through at least maybe the top five guys and just go over to me the one reason you think they will succeed and maybe reach their ceiling. And then the one thing that could potentially hold them back. So let's start with Eric Stokes. What's the thing that you're excited about? And maybe the thing that could hold him back. Well, I'm excited about obviously his speed and his speed allows him to never panic. So I think a guy that plays very under control, very calm, never panicking when that ball is in the air is an extremely important quality for a cornerback. So his speed, but not breaking any news. He wakes up with four, two speed all day, every day. <laughs> and then any reason that you would see that he would potentially not, you know, see that potential through. Well, I think something we both have touched on through social media is certainly his balance, particularly at the top of routes, being able to mirror, start, stop, get in and out of breaks, drive on the football, have route anticipation, and just his natural ball skills. He doesn't panic out there. His pro days, his pro day catching the football was one of the worst I've ever seen for a cornerback. He had hands like feet out there. He just didn't catch anything. But in particular, the balance, I think, is a very important trait for corners and exponentially more important than straight linear speed. You got to be a fast kid, but you got to have a lot of other qualities and be able to start stop as well and have that agility and that foot quickness as well. Yeah, we've uh, we talked about that obviously before, but you you have poor balance as a four two five guy, and you turn into a four six five guy, right? Like it's it's taking all of that raw natural speed and it's wasting it because you're not playing under you know under balance, and all of a sudden now you've got to get your feet underneath you, and it's just taking all that time to kind of catch back up. So definitely something that he needs to work on. Um, I think he can. Um, definitely something you could tell that he was aware of even in his first press conference. It was something that stood out to me, but and I didn't ha- do the deep dive on him up to that. That point obviously I'd seen a few games but he said I don't want to be a fast corner I want to trust my technique and and then you know use my speed after that you can tell that that's something that his coaches have drilled into him because if he starts trusting his technique and becoming more of a technique corner now your speed plays naturally and then allows you to recover and do all the things just naturally to use that to the best of your ability to me right now Eric Stokes is playing as a speed corner and then when somebody cuts off a route, he's still flying by and, and because he's playing, again, out of balance, a little bit out of phase, and now he's trying to catch back up. So I think if he trusts that and he starts doing that and plays as a, a technique corner, now you use your speed to your advantage and you kind of come become that all-around player that he hopefully can become. 
Yeah, and we'll see how it looks because he was more of the press man corner in Kirby Smart's defense while Tyson Campbell, DJ Daniel were a little bit more zone. So I thought Stokes would fit a more of a press man scheme. So if Joe Barry continues to play more zone coverage like he had, you know, under Brandon Staley's defense with the Rams, interested to see how Eric Stokes maybe takes that different scheme and uses that speed. It might actually be a better scheme and a fit for him. Yeah, that'll be interesting to watch as well. So Josh Myers thing that, you know, reason he would succeed and one potential reason he would fail. Obviously we talked about the intelligence already and the ability to get to the second level. Those are a couple of the top reasons I think he will succeed, but uh, thoughts on Myers. Yeah, absolutely. Quickness off the ball, uh, FBI, football intelligence. His eyes are always up, always plays exceptional posture, always aware, sees stunts, games, late late blitzers. He's not going to be fooled physically or mentally. Some of the issues, I think, I think he's really just an average athlete. Now, I think he gets out of his stance quickly, but I don't think he's some savant in space. I don't think he's going to excel on the perimeter in the screen game. I worry about his ability to go get second-level speedy linebackers at the next level if he can't chase them. Uh, he also really doesn't have any positional versatility. He really doesn't have experience at either guard spot. He's kind of a through-and-through center. Not a lot of people in Green Bay are worried about that because there's a big hole at center. So, uh, you know, different strokes for different folks with that one there. But, yeah, he's a guy that will probably be the center and just a little bit worried about his athleticism. Yeah, that's fair. And, and to, to your point there, pretty much every other offensive lineman has positional versatility in Green Bay. So I guess if one of them doesn't, I guess you can plug in Myers and Bakhtiari at their given spots and figure out the rest later, especially when you've got the ultimate chess piece in Elton Jenkins. Uh, what about Amari Rogers? One reason you think he can succeed and one where maybe you have a little bit, bit concern over. Well, Amari, I like his ability to create yak in multiple ways. I don't think he's a home run hitting type of slot receiver, but he plays with exceptional burst, exceptional acceleration, knows how to kind of dead leg defenders and kind of get the corner on them and knows how to take away their pursuit angle. Not because he's a track star. He just knows how to burst his speed away. And also He's thick. He's got a thick lower half. He could run through arm tackles. So being able to create yak yards after catch through being elusive and fast and tough and physical. So I love being able to do that both ways. The negative I have on him, just a little bit worried about his size, that catch radius. And I think his hands are a little bit more suspect than people think. Uh, I think he's made some impressive catches, not only opening up and adjusting over the middle as well. He's a very tough kid. He's fearless. Put on some senior bowl one-on-ones. He carved up some corners with some really nice routes and then broke your heart with a you know, couple concentration drops. So I think for every one of those, he's made an impressive catch. But I think there may be a couple more drops out there than, uh, than we think of. Yeah, I think he had five or six this past season. One of the things I noted is if you got him kind of involved early and got him an easy catch early, it seemed to kind of help his confidence a little bit. It was almost like when, you know, if he didn't have that, he was, I don't know, overthinking it or what, but almost like he just needed to get into a little bit of a rhythm. So maybe get him one of those quick screen passes on a bubble screen or something, get the ball in his hands. Heck, hand him the football if you need to. Mm-hmm. Maybe just get him involved and, and maybe that'll take care of it. And that was hopefully. the weird thing. The senior bowl drops, I swear they were some of the, the more gimme yeah. targets he had. He'd maybe have a corner on his hip and make a really tough catch going to the ground, but he'd carve up a corner on a double move, be open by five yards and 
just drop it off the fingertips. So I might be just thinking of one or two that's leaving a very lasting impression in my head, but definitely had a couple drops down there in Mobile. No, it, it showed up on tape as well from time to time. And um, definitely an exciting player, like you said, not going to be probably the pure, you know, you, you have to ask him to do what he can do, right? You don't want him to be the jump ball guy on the outside. He's not going to have a huge catch radius. He has a certain limited ceiling as an all, overall wide receiver, but you know, Green Bay doesn't need him to do those things. And as we've talked about in the past, Ben, you know, with Matt LaFleur's system, you know, you're going to be in bunch formations. You're going to be moved around. You're, there's so many different things that he has the ability to do. I think it's a really great scheme fit. And I think that's just another reason he has the ability to succeed. And just going back really quick to the run after the catch. The thing I loved about him, he's elusive and can run through tackles. But so a lot of these elusive guys, they love to go east and west and maybe try to make 100 jukes. He's generally getting the ball and going north and south pretty immediately. And then still has the ability and a little bit of wiggle or the power to get through or by you know corners at that point or defensive players at that point as well. So I like that he's not trying to do too much when he gets the ball in his hands, get those yards and then make people miss. You know, that's you a can. great point. Very efficient. He's not really a shaky guy. Yeah. The shaky guys want to break down, stop, go east, west. He's really a no nonsense guy, which I didn't have that written down, but I had it written down as efficient, which efficient yak, which he also always seemed to know the scenario. He may catch an underneath ball on third and four and know to plow through to get that extra five, six yards. Or maybe it's first and 10, he catches a bubble, and that's a good opportunity to maybe make a beeline to the sideline and beat a guy with speed. So seemed very aware of the situation as well. Yeah, I got to love that. I think he's going to play really well within this offense. We kind of touched on Royce Newman's strengths and weaknesses already. Obviously, some of the weaknesses just being his overall power and able to sustain blocks is, you know, the quickness off the ball, both as a strength and a detriment as times. But um, anything else that stood out to you about Royce? No, not particularly. His versatility, he has snaps at left tackle, left guard, right guard, right tackle, did center at the senior bowl. I wish I included that one in my snapshot to have all five across the board there. Uh, But yeah, a guy that's pretty athletic, good mover, downside. I think his hands are all over the place. I think it's very inconsistent, a bit of a two-handed puncher as well, which you have to have independent hand usage at the next level. I really need to rework his kind of waist up movements. Yeah, one of the things I noticed as well, it seemed like how effective he was was very much determined by how well he used his hands on a play. Cause again, he could get out and he could get to his spots. And then if he got his hands and he got them inside, he was winning. If not, if it was all over the place or he was going with two hands and the defensive lineman swiped them, like that's when he got himself into trouble. So I'm hopeful that over time, if you can rework that and work on just, you know, the targets where he wants to get his hands, hopefully you can find success, but definitely something that needs to get cleaned up. And he's going to be a 24 year old rookie too. He's a sure. guy that's got to be able to be that first one off the bench, ready to play right away. You're right. Uh, let's talk TJ Slayton because, you know, I had the opportunity to attend day two of rookie mini camp. If I went in blind um, and didn't know who was drafted, where I would have said that TJ Slayton was one of the ones that was green Bay's top selections, just not knowing any better. Um, now, he mentioned in his post or his post-practice press conference that he's still getting used to the differences in temperature and air in Green Bay, which is causing him to breathe a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. He was tired. He was tired uh, at a rookie mini camp. And that's some of the things that have plagued him in college, right? Whether it's been the the weight and just some of the ability to, you know, be consistent in his effort and stay on the field. I still, those are things that he's going to have to answer over time, but man, you, we, you know, we kind of went back and forth a little bit on social media today, uh, but just some of the flashes that uh, he shows on tape are really, really fun. Every defensive tackle, I feel like 
runs some level of hot and cold and you're hoping to see more hot and cold than cold, but he's a fun player where if he can put it together, I don't know if he's ever going to be a dominant three down guy, but I'm really intrigued by TJ Slayton. I bet he snuck a trip to Culver's before practice. <laughs> Have you been to Gainesville in July? Man, that air is like soup down there. And he was yep. 350 pounds. There's no way this air in Green Bay is bothering him. I agree. Whatever. Uh, but he's a really interesting player. Obviously, a nose tackle, one tech. He's a guy that's going to reset the line of scrimmage. Really, really stout against double teams. Knocks back offensive linemen on one-on-one blocks. Often will force running backs to redirect their path. Uh, which is a plus and a positive for trench players. You don't always make the play, but if you're plugging your gap, forcing that running back to bounce, you're doing your job. Really tough to move off the spot. Has flashed some one-step explosiveness, whether that's off the ball or maybe redirecting and surging, you know, laterally to go get off a block or, you know, pursue a ball carrier trying to break to the perimeter. I think he does a good job getting his hands up in the quarterback's face. The big question is, does he have any value in sub package and on third downs being yep. six, four, three Can he be a force up the middle getting after the quarterback, which after Kenny Clark, you just want to get those interior guys off the field, Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster. So Kingsley Kiki, they're expecting to have a little bit more involvement and in being that sub package pass rusher. If I'm TJ Slayton, I'm looking at Tyler Lancaster tape and Dean Lowry tape saying I'm coming for both your snaps, particularly anything you guys get in sub package. So you know what he's going to bring for in the run game. Does he have enough juice getting after the quarterback? And I think as a fifth round pick, you have a little bit more accident forgiveness. If, you know, if he just ends up being a two down guy where he's just a, you know, a really good run stopping defensive tackle, I think you can live with that for a fifth round pick. And I think that's probably why he slid to that, you know, area of the draft. But um, if he can develop to more than that, awesome. And, And again, he was, he showed off some serious power in his hands. Now it's a rookie mini camp. You're going against undrafted free agents, make of it what you will. Um, you certainly a little bit different when you get to Sundays going up against six year veterans along the interior of the offensive line, but um, impressive. that's the starting point though, Andy, that's, that's how it should look. Yeah. You should show up day one, a rookie tryouts or mini camp and go, let it be known, go shove your foot up somebody's butt and, and, <laughs> and you'll flex out there. And I don't want to see battles. I don't want to see, see scrapping from my fifth round. 330-pound SEC defensive tackle. Go murder these young kids trying to get a tryout. Let them know what NFL football should feel like. You're the valuable pick. You're the vet of that group, for lack of better words. Go show. Go flex on somebody. And I'm I'm happy that that's how it looked. I promise you, his best football is ahead of him. I think so, too. If If Jerry Montgomery gets his hands on him and Slayton is coachable and is mature and has the right kind of makeup going on between the ears, which is all that stuff that we don't see on the tape, understand the limitations of the tape. How coachable are they? How smart are they? How much do they want it? How much do they want to get better? You can't figure that out on the tape. You have to know the kid, know the coaches around him. He has a lot of upside, a lot of ability. He could turn into a Linval Joseph style of player, in my opinion. Um, And running 508 at 330, that's nothing to slight at either. This guy was boogieing. He has some really intriguing traits to him. Yeah, he really does. And let's be fair here. If he did have a Culver's burger ahead of time, listen, there was another n- number 93 in Green Bay who had a, a burger named <laughs> after him. Listen, I, I think a Slayton burger sounds fantastic. Make it a butter burger, you know, put a concrete mixer in there too. Like I'm all on board. If, if he was there, I don't think anyone in Green Bay is going to. Is he more Gilbert Brown to you or is he more Johnny Jolly? 
He's more Johnny Jolly, I think. I don't think he's quite a Gilbert Brown to me. I mean, there's very few that are the pure Gilbert Brown nose tackles, but I think he reminds, I think Johnny Jolly is a fantastic comparison now that you actually, you say that out loud. I think that's a really fantastic comparison. I do this weird exercise every year where I try to compare draft picks to former Packers players. I don't know why I do it. I just do, but TJ Slayton, Johnny Jolly, lock that up. I really like that a lot. I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, maybe a little Corey Williams in his game too, but I, th- I think Johnny Jolly is a really good comparison. All right, let me, let me just ask you to go. You can go anywhere you want with this. Shamar Jean Charles, Cole Van Lannan, Isaiah McDuffie, Kylan Hill. Um, any just quick two, three words that you want to say about any, all, none, doesn't matter. Go whatever direction you want. Well, Shamar is really interesting. I love defensive backs from Miami area. I just do. They run differently. They have a different type of swagger, different type of attitude. They're typically tough. He's from Miramar, Miami, very experienced player. They got a lot of guys that are kind of pound for pound tough. There's three guys in this draft that weighed less than 190 and put up 19 reps. Three guys in the entire draft. Gian Charles was one of them. This guy is a no-nonsense, not-back-down tough guy. Now, the issue, I don't know if he has you know, the speed to kind of play in the NFL. I don't know if he really has the athleticism. I think he's going to be a tough guy, a try-hard guy that's going to excel on special teams. Hopefully he can carve out maybe a nickel or a dime roll uh, as far as being just a true defensive back. But I think taking him in the sixth round is a great kind of value and a really good ballpark for where you should take him. My comp for him was Justin Coleman. Okay. I thought played some uh, okay ball for the Seattle or Detroit out in the nickel as well. Um, yeah. And then two other players, Isaiah McDuffie, really interesting. Another guy is 224 pounds. He put up 25 reps on the bench. You know, he's a guy that was much stronger than I thought he was going to be. Really reminded me of Eric Wilson, who just took a free agent contract to the Philadelphia Eagles, a guy that showed up to the Vikings coming from the Cincinnati Bearcats without a true positional fit. But in his three, four years there, has played Mike, played Will, played Sam, been a special team stalwart, and that's going to be Isaiah McDuffie. I don't know where you play him, but at the end of the day, I think he has a really high floor because of athleticism, special teams, tough, and then being able to play all three linebacker spots, which he did quite often at Boston College. Third downs, didn't go backwards a ton. He was a guy that was involved blitzing and in the pressure packages quite a bit. And Kylan Hill, I don't know if he's a A, A minus in anything, but he's a B in everything. He's going to pass pro for you. He's going to catch the ball. He's going to get the tough yards and short yardage. He's got the speed to get to the perimeter. Doesn't really have the home run juice. Doesn't have the shake or the wiggle or the make you miss. But he's a guy I think you can rely on third down. He's going to get you three yards on third and two. He's going to catch the ball for you. He's going to pass protect for you. I bet he's going to you know love special teams with a smile on his face, one of those guys. So – those three, you know, kind of day three picks, uh, Shaman Jean Charles, Isaiah McDuffie, Kylan Hill, all very tough, all very high floor players, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued by Kylan Hill. And I mean, it's, to me, projects as a really nice number three running back, potentially. Uh, Patrick Taylor will be an interesting conversation there. Now they got Mike Weber, Dexter Williams still, but I mean, it's going to be a fun battle for the number three spot. And if I were a betting man today, I think Kylan Hill wins that battle between the four. Uh, Patrick Taylor, by the way, that is a big dude. I, you know, that many, he was at minicamp because he didn't play last year. Man, he is a freaking big running back. I'm very interested to see how he plays. Is that the uh, Memphis he kid? Play. He's pushing like 6'2", 230? Yeah, you go back a couple of years. I actually had him on here talking to him. You go back a couple of years, they had, what, Gainwell, Patrick Taylor. Uh, was it Daryl Henderson, was it? Mm-hmm, um, yep. And then Antonio Tony, Gibson. Was Gibson, there. yep. 
who wasn't even a running back at the time, but like, that is crazy. And he was number two, you know, he was the number two guy um, running in um, behind Henderson. And then was the, uh, really the number one guy, you know, him and Gainwell were kind of back and forth. So he kept getting his job taken by all these uh, yeah, other basically. NFL backs out there. Yeah. But he was kind yeah, of to- yeah, Tony Pollard before that. Yeah. Tony Pollard was there too. Sorry. I meant, yeah. I meant to mention yeah. him. Yeah. There's five guys there that are, NFL, you know, all second, third, fourth round guys in the NFL, which is crazy. And then Taylor. So and who probably would have been drafted had he not been uh, injured. So he's another really interesting one. All right. Let's go kind of lightning round through the remainder of this. One thing that you were most excited about, about the Packers draft. I think the competition and the versatility, I think there's the guys that can play a lot of positions, which there's good and there's bad. I thought this was the draft to go to find a, a true tackle, you yep. know, not a guy that plays up and down or inside outside or can plug it where it leaks. But I think the versatility is value with this draft. The offensive linemen are all pretty versatile. The linebackers are pretty versatile. The defensive backs like Gene Charles, I think, can play a variety of spots, including special teams. So I think adding really good competitive players to the back end of the roster is just healthy for your team and your organization. And whether you're going to play multiple spots or just be a special team stalwart or really just kind of compete and clean up the back end of the roster, I think the Packers are certainly in need of that. And your most disappointing aspect of the Packers overall draft. I would say finding true, more true high side impact players for this year. I think there's a lot of kind of developmental players. I think there's a lot of intrigue. I think there's a lot of, let's see how he looks in camp. Let's see how, you know, he competes in the preseason as opposed of saying, let's see how he looks week one type of thing. There aren't a lot of people looking towards the season with these players. A lot of people are looking towards camp and looking towards the preseason, which is what you should do with a lot of rookie classes. But look around the league. Look at some other teams. There's some teams that are very excited to deploy some of these young, talented players. They just got in the draft in the regular season, and they may say, well, those teams are probably picking early in the draft and they had holes and they had needs and those players are going to go right in and be starters. Not every team went 13 and three with an MVP quarterback in the NFC <laughs> championship game. So there weren't a lot of needs across the board, but I just didn't feel like there were a whole lot of exciting impact players to get excited about just off the cuff of the draft. But as we know, it's a long season. It's getting longer now that it's 17 games. Injuries are going to happen. Depth is going to be tested. And just when you think running back four and five, nobody cares about in August, suddenly one of those guys might be a starter by the time November and December come, knock on wood. But you know what I'm saying as far as we don't care about them in the summer. Next thing you know, they're thrown into the fire and we have high expectations once they're in that fire on green Bay. So it all is a, it's a process. So I'm excited about the talent we got just not over the moon about it. You, uh, you don't, you know, you don't know you need it until you need it. Right. Some of those guys, once they get the opportunity, then, you know, they need to perform. And some of the depth pieces I think will play a part probably sooner rather than later. Uh, What was your favorite pick of the the nine that green Bay made? Cause it's kind of based on value. Uh, I'd have to go with Amari Rogers. Um, I think I, that was the position I was, you know, obviously pounding the table for through most of the season. I thought that was the position they were lacking, uh, you know, a playmaking element in their offense. And it was a focal part of their offense with the quick game, the, the perimeter screens, the RPOs. That was a major aspect of LaFleur's offense the past two years. Since he got there, second most RPOs, second most screens 
without a true slot receiving demon out there, a true slot receiving threat. So I'm happy they got Amari Rogers, not the most explosive of the options that are out there in this draft with the Elijah Moores and Tony's and Rondell Moores of the world. They're all over the place. But what Amari does really well, bringing that running backs type of body, that Randall Cobb, that Debo Samuel, that Ty Montgomery, that no nonsense, efficient type of guy that I think is going to fit in really well, uh, not only with the offense, but Green Bay in the community. I've heard he's a great kid off the field as well. And like we had talked about before, not just being a tough guy, not just being a blazer, but having that mix of the two and just put the ball in his hands however you need to. And I think they're going to be really creative on how they use them. And I saw you kind of, uh, or maybe it was Peter, turn up the quote from him before the draft of saying, why not get more running back touches? Because he took running back drills at his pro day. And Amari said, well, did you see the guy that, you know, was the running back the last four years? And Travis, Travis Etienne, he really didn't warrant coming off the field a whole lot. And I got news for you. They had a five-star behind him and a five-star behind him as well. So there's a whole lot of mouths to feed of that Clemson offense. There were. Yeah, it doesn't make a ton of sense to put him in the backfield when you've got that entire group of stable of running backs that they had. Um, And then what was your biggest head scratching pick for Green Bay? I didn't love Eric Stokes in round one, to be honest with you. Uh, I thought he was still a pretty developmental cornerback. I didn't think the scheme fit was that great. And as I kind of rechecked a lot of my thoughts on the tape after the draft, I found some more concerns. Uh, And I thought addressing that spot with Kevin King, which they may say, that's not addressing. That's really just a Band-Aid. Kevin King can play in this league. Kevin King has played in this league. Kevin King has played well in this league. Very inconsistent. He's also played bad. He's also been injured, been you know not available. But I thought bringing him back bought Green Bay time to address that spot. Not that you need to go right in round one or make any sort of, uh, you know, for lack of better words, desperate moves to address the position. So I just thought there were some other areas, uh, maybe a different slot receiver, maybe a true offensive tackle, variety of actually options at that spot in round one. He could have gone a number of different directions, but I just didn't think Eric Stokes was really the, the right fit scheme-wise or player-wise. What grade did you have on Stokes coming out, if you have it handy? I had, I think, a late second-round grade on him. Uh, obviously, a traits-based selection with his speed. Uh, I did like his feistiness. I, I liked what I saw ball skill wise down at Georgia up until the pro day. I thought he was the one Georgia corner that found the ball down the field, as opposed to Tyson Campbell and DJ Daniel seemed like they never got their head around and found the ball, but all three Georgia corners, I think there was just always something I didn't like about each of them. None of them were really that complete. Um, So, you know, Eric Stokes, I thought could have been had on, you know, day two, maybe even into round three. Interesting. I, I had a mid to early to mid second round on him. I wasn't shocked that he went and it's a classic green Bay pick to me. They love high end traits, younger players, you know, obviously coming from an sec school that has, from all accounts wants to be great and has the the work ethic, the desire, everything to reach those traits. And that is just such a classic green Bay. We love everything from a trait standpoint. We love the IQ and the mental makeup of this player and wanting to reach that ceiling and we think we can bring him in and coach him and get him to that level. You look at the tape, you're a million percent correct. There are some things where I have legitimate concerns as to whether or not he can hang with some of the better route runners in the league and some of the people that are going to use his speed against them and um, you know some of the in-breaking, all of those sort of things. I have some concerns. 
the same time uh, in the first round, I think you're generally in the process of drafting players where there's just not many human beings made like that. Not many four two forty speed, you know, six foot tall corners um, who have played in the SEC. And frankly, one of the most frustrating things about Stokes and his college film is teams just never freaking threw the ball at him, especially his last year, which makes it that much harder to evaluate because you're like, I don't know if you remember Philip Gaines at all when he played at Rice. I think it was Rice, right? Um, mm-hmm. And he was so frustrating to freaking watch because you have this NFL caliber corner playing at whatever, I don't even know what conference that is with Rice, but like they literally threw at him like 10 times all year that last season. It's like, how the hell are you going to evaluate this guy? Yeah, the coverage looks great, but you can't tell if he's you know turning his head enough. You can't tell how he handles some of the situations because quarterbacks are never throwing at him, which is genuine, generally a good sign, but you would love to, a little bit more tape to evaluate in that regards. Yeah, it becomes really tough when uh... – they can kind of stay on their island. You never see the ball thrown at them. So you could only, you know, speculate and try to envision what would happen if the ball was thrown. But players change when that ball's in the air. Players change at the catch point. Um, so it's important to see those reps. And sometimes you don't get to see them until you're down at the senior bowl or you get your hands on them in camp. And next thing you know, you're sitting there scratching your head saying, what, what is this out here? That's not what it looked like on tape. But right. yeah, I thought Asante Samuel Jr. maybe uh, was a better fit. I would have liked, you know, the way the Miami Dolphins took Javon Holland, I think at the 35th overall pick. I think maybe at 29, it would have been an okay pick as well. He's a guy I've really coveted. I thought the safety nickel spot for Green Bay was much more of a position of need uh, than the team alluded to and some of their uh, picks have suggested and I think the fans thought. So, um, yeah, you know, I can kind of poke holes in a lot of these picks, but they are what they are. They all have pros and cons. I'm rooting for them all to be Hall of Famers. And anything I didn't like about a player – I am hoping and pounding the table for that they prove me wrong. I'm not looking for my points and my opinions to be validated. So if I, if there's anything I think they should have improved on or I didn't like about a player, I am first in line to say, I hope they fix it. Yeah. A million percent. I think that's the best part of it. It's, it's, it's validating to get things right in the draft, but every, no one's going to hit near hundred percent on this thing. Right. Even the best of the best of the best, if you can get close to what 40, 50%, like it's um, it's insanely tough to do. And you would rather see these kids go out and succeed at a high level, get big paydays and just, you know, enjoy the, enjoy the process of, of all of it. And I think that's the the more fun part of it. I so. hope they all get busts in Canton. I hope every team this year goes 17 and 0. I hope <laughs> everybody wins the Super Bowl next year. I am not rooting or vested interest in anybody's failure or decline. My life is the same, whether we win or lose. My life is the same, whether our first round pick is a hall of famer or gets cut tomorrow, but let's stay positive. You know, obviously let's stay optimistic and let's root for success, not only for players here, but our listeners, me and you, whoever in life. Yeah. Packers 17 and 0, I think is what you're saying. I think that's probably, it's going to be uh, a little tricky with the Vikings lions and bears also 17 and 0. We'll have to see how that works out. <laughs> see how it plays <laughs> out. Ben fantastic, fantastic stuff as always. Thank you so much for joining me both here on YouTube, as well as on the audio podcast. Uh, where can we find you on Twitter and what are you going to be working on besides your golf game this summer? You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL B E N F E N N E L L underscore NFL. Uh, This time of year, doing a lot of work on 2022 already. So if you're a sicko uh, here in the middle of May and want to know about some early notes on 2022 players, 
I've been tweeting them out already for the past two weeks, and there's going to be more to come. Uh, can certainly follow me here on Pack-A-Day Podcast. Also doing a lot of work over at the Philadelphia Eagles on the Journey to the Draft Podcast with okay. Fran Duffy and Dane Brugler. And I'm sure I'll be pumping out some Packers film articles at The Athletic or somewhere uh, before you know it. And hopefully we have training camp before you know it as well. So, um, yeah, slow time for me this year. It's a work hard, play hard lifestyle. Keep that in style. Yeah, as soon as you're done listening to the Pack-A-Day podcast every day, go out and listen to the Journey of the Draft. It is so ridiculously good. Um, Dane and Ben and Fran and those guys, they just do such a tremendous job, always have incredible guests, and you literally learn something every single time you tune in. So definitely one of those football ones where if you want to get smarter about football and just hear from smart people talking football, it is one you definitely do not want to miss. So definitely check that out. I'll be back here tomorrow on the YouTube version of the Pack-A-Day podcast. We'll, of course, have a brand new audio version for you uh, tomorrow as well with Jake and Ross. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go! Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.